explain something to a bunch of people and people online and all that kind of stuff and people that watch on YouTube, what you've done on the cross. What happened in the resurrection? How do we wrap that up in within an hour? Wow. But I tell you about Gotha, that's the birthplace of salvation. The skull, that's what they called it, the skull heel. Let me read a few things that I've wrote down and we're going to dig right into this. The place of the skull is the location of Jesus' crucifixion, which is called both Calvary and Golgotha. In the Greek, it was translated as Calvary. In the Hebrew, it was called Golgotha. And both taking, both are talking about the cranium and the skull. When I went to Israel when I was a teenager, when you look at the Golgotha or Calvary, you see the skull. It's so funny because you focus on the cross, but you don't notice the skull. And, and that's the point, because it's not about the skull necessarily, but what happened on the cross. But we've got to talk about the skull. And so, even the sound of the name seems more cruel, Golgotha. It seems ugly, even coming from your lips. But while Calvary is more poetic, I want to remind you that Golgotha and Calvary are the same thing. Golgotha and Calvary are the same thing. But the crazy part is, is like there's three different books in the Bible in the New Testament that talk about Jesus was brought to Golgotha, and there's one book in the Bible that just talks about Jesus was brought to Calvary. It's mentioned more about Golgotha than it is Calvary, but you don't see uh, Golgotha Temple, you see Calvary Temple. You see, you don't name a church Golgotha, somebody might think that's kind of different and might be in a cult, or, but if you say Calvary Temple or Calvary First, or, that seems more inviting, but it's the same place. And, and what I want to tell you is being in the same place we can't separate the ugliness of the cross from the glory of the, club, the cross. Can, we, can you hear me on that? We can't separate the ugliness from it and from the glory of it. We can't separate the grace of the cross and the pain of the cross. We can't separate the victory of the cross and the violence of the cross. We, we, we want to focus on so much, but we've got to understand where it came from first. Because to get to the victory, there had to be a suffering. To get to grace, something had to die. Or someone. We can't embrace the power of the cross without embracing the ugliness of the cross as well. The place of Golgotha, I don't know if you realize this or not, but it was a dump. I don't know if you've ever been to the dump that is outside of our city when you go and take stuff. Now, a lot of people are, are hood, and they just throw it in the back and hope that somebody else takes it. Or put it in the front and just like, you know, so-and-so's going to take it. He always takes it, you know, whatever the case is. But there is a place called a dump where everybody dumps their trash. You think it might just magically disappear out of the blue container and just, whoo. 
or they had to drive it somewhere outside the city. Because if the dump was located in the middle of the city, everything would go wrong. The smell, the, the, the animals, the birds, everything would go wrong if the dump was inside the city. Golgotha was located outside of Jerusalem. It was a dump. Your savior of the world was crucified in a garbage dump. We don't want to look at it that way, but that's the reality of it. It was outside the city on a hill, far away, stood the old. Why far away? Because it's sad. Why? Because nobody wanted to be around. They didn't crucify him in the middle of the city in some big glass arena in this big temple. All right, here we go. We're going to crucify the Savior. No, they took the criminals outside the city and they hung them on the cross. You follow me this morning? I'm going to get into this because I'm just unloading it real quick. And the craziest part was they crucified them where stuff was rotten. They crucified them where stuff, the stench was horrendous. Where dogs and animals and birds would salvage through what, what, was, what was left of anybody on the cross. If things were hanging, if blood was poured... The animals would come and savage and rip through stuff. The birds would fly in and try to peck and destroy whatever was on the cross. This is the place where the Savior of the world had to go. In that environment, the Son of God was raised up for us, hanging between earth and heaven, floating in the air, in a garbage dump. I don't know if that gets you. It messes me up. Because he saved my life. I wouldn't even be up here. I'm a product of the hope. The city. You wouldn't even believe if you, you, if you knew me, you would be like, there's no way that that man is a pastor of this house. You wouldn't know. That's why it just gets me. Because what happened on Friday? The, the, the sacrifice. And then we, we celebrate today. But let me just ask you a question before I get back into this. What did you do on Friday? Were you out doing your thing and partying and smoking and drinking and doing your life and doing whatever you wanted while the Savior was dying? Or were you grieved and you just mourned and you, you, you championed and come on, you can do it. You can. You can get it. What did you do Friday? How was your Friday? How was it for you? The religious leaders wish to keep on Christ a maximum shame and punishment. It had been the Romans' favorite method to deal with rebellious people at that time. Where punishment was just extended. Unlike an execution, in our day, our death. That wasn't the case back then. The, the chief goal was pain. It wasn't beheading. It wasn't instant death. It was, we want to unleash as much pain as we can before you die. The Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion to the maximum pain possible. I got to get into this so we can understand where we're going. 
They knew how to prolong the horror of death without allowing their victims to lapse into unconsciousness. They took great care in not damaging the vital organs so they could be tortured, so they could torture the body to the greatest degree. Hanging on the cross naked, humiliated, the Lord suffered the most pain, death unknown in the world. A pain beyond description, excruciating pain. As a matter of fact, the word excruciating comes from the Latin word which means out of the cross. Who could dare say to Christ, he doesn't understand my pain? Who can dare describe and think that God don't understand your pain? Not only did he bear the pain, but he refused the narcotics mixture that was going to help numb him on the cross. When they kept trying to give him the sour drink that was going to try to numb some so they could keep him alive and keep torturing him. But he spit it out and wouldn't take it. Because he wanted to take all of it for you. They say the cross weighed about 200 pounds. Guys, are you listening to me? We sit back and live our life in our what we call a free country or free self or mind, whatever. And Christ died for all of your mess. A 200 pound cross. That he had to carry up a hill. He had to wear a plaque of shame. I wonder whatever you've done this weekend or how you've been living if your plaque was on your chest. How would you feel? I mean, a lot of times people put their own mess out there. Just go on social media, you'll see it. True. How would you feel? And even though that his black said king of the Jews, and they mocked it, and they, they either put it on him if they could wear it, or the guy stood in front of him, the, one of the soldiers would walk with it in front of him as he carried the cross to let everybody know who this man is or what he did. We must not forget the horrors of the cross. We must not forget when the Romans whipped him we, we must not forget that they, they put this on them. This is the real deal right here. It's already cut me like four times just trying to take it out of this box. They only put this on him because they were mocking him, calling him the king. And I'm telling you right now, I'll leave this up here if you want to just look at it later. But some of these thorns are super long, and it said that it stuck through his skin, even probably in his, you know, all y'all with your weird piercings and stuff. <laughs> that, that's nothing compared to what was sticking out of his eye and through his neck and all over his body, because they put it on him, they put a robe on him, they gave him a staff and said, oh, long live the king, oh, he's the king of the Jews. And then they stuffed it on him and took the staff and beat him in the face with it. This is our king, that, that died. This is our king. This is Jesus Christ. And he did it for you while you were jacking around this weekend. Woo. He did it for you. And 
did it. So every time we live the life we live, remember why he did what he did. Why go back? Why go back? Jesus stumbled and staggered, and even a person helped carry the cross for him. The soldiers first threw his arms back up on the cross. Large nails that were over six inches long. They looked like railroad spikes, but sharper. They put them in his hands. And then when the left foot was pressed backwards against the right foot, they nailed and pierced it together. And as the nails pierced the hands and the feet, all his nerves were sending excruciating pain through his body. Wide open nerves that are just pain, just bolting through his body. He was nailed, hands at a 90 degree angle. The cross was lifted up and dropped into place. It would jerk his arms out of socket because of the weight of the body. Would make it nearly impossible to breathe. Our Lord and Savior, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, would have to push the nail of fierce feet and pull himself up just to take a breath against the net. Because he couldn't breathe, it was all jacked up. Just to take a breath, he had to push against the nerves in his feet and in his hands. But that's not just the whole thing. He was already beat with the cat of nine tails. He should have died on the post. His intestines were hanging out, and blood was everywhere, and he was naked. We try to make him look like he's like Fabio and just flopping around, but it's not like that. He was beat up. His beard was ripped out of his face. He was punched in the face over and over. Didn't even look the same. Air could be drawn in and it was difficult to exhale. Most often, men crucified didn't die from the wounds, but they died when they no longer had the strength to push themselves up and literally would suffocate and drown in their own fluids. The most common method to ending crucifixion early was to shatter the bones and the legs so it made it impossible to push themselves up. They would break their legs and they couldn't push and then they would immediately suffocate. On the cross, one struggled with almost every imaginable pain, hunger, burning, thirsty, wounds that we couldn't even describe that were poured open, fever, severe cramping, waves of pain throughout his body, dizziness, nausea, convulsing, loss of blood, delusional, that's Golgotha. That's where Christ died. And then here we go. All that happens, church. And here we go. And he makes this statement. He says, forgive them. He's hanging on the cross. He can barely breathe. His heart's beating. And it's he, I don't know how he didn't die on the post. Because if somebody's going to bleed out that bad, it's going to be impossible for them to even take it to the cross. But guess what he had on his mind? You. 
I have to die so you can live. I have to die so you have full access to me. I have to die so that you can be forgiven. And he said to them, when they came to the place called Golgotha, Luke 23, also known as the skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on the right, one on the left. And Jesus said, lifted himself up, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They had just nailed him to the cross. Blood was everywhere. And I, I hate to be gruesome, but it's the truth. Testaments were hanging. Everything's happening at the one time. His beard was plucked out of his face. He had not even had, had any time to heal. There's no possible way to heal. And he says, forgive them. From the cross, he was nailed. And his face was disfigured. He couldn't even see the people he was trying to forgive. He was so small. And yet, saying forgive them. They had beat him and beat him. And yet he still said, forgive them. I think that as we go to this point for a second, can I bring something into reality just for a second? I think one thing that we forget at this moment with Christ, and this is something that as I was studying, I wanted to remember that he was fully man and he was fully God. Okay? Yeah. But I think we forget the part that he was fully man. Okay? So this means that he knew what it felt like to be betrayed. He knew what it felt like to be mocked. He knew what it felt like to be rejected. He knew what it felt like to be beaten. He knew what it felt like to be hated. He knew what it felt like to be lonely. He knew what it felt like to carry a weight that you just feel is so unbearable. He knew what it was like, even to the point, if you go back with me in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 34 through 36, there were several times, and it says in this part, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to start, be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Anybody in this room ever felt that your soul is very sorrowful? Like you just can't take it. Like you can't take one more thing that comes across your way. He said, going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this did not pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Father, if this cup could pass for me, then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands 
of sinners. Rise and let us be going and see my betrayer is at hand. And when I begin to read that, if anyone in this world could have been bitter, it should have been Jesus. If anyone in this world had the right to not forgive anybody, it's Jesus. If anybody knew what it felt like to be left alone when you needed somebody at the most, at that moment, at your lowest moment, and you felt kicked and beaten, it was Jesus. See, I think we need to remind ourselves that sometimes we think, well, he was God. So he knew what he was doing. And, you know, this was the plan all along. Yes, it was the plan all along. But I don't think you understand the intensity of the plan that took place that day. From leading up to the point of being betrayed. See, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because forgiveness had to precede salvation. Even Jesus was fully man enough to be able to utter the words, forgive them. We've been talking about the F-bomb and dropping the F-bomb. For Jesus, when we said it from the beginning, dropped the ultimate F-bomb, which is forgiveness, saying, I forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, Jesus was still full of compassion at the place of forgiveness. He understood that the flesh causes people to do things that aren't right. And he wasn't going to settle for the flesh. He desired the will of the Spirit. This is the point that I believe that we have to understand that led Jesus to be able to carry. Do you understand that nobody else in this world could have done what he did? He would have been done and bled out and died by the time that the cat and nine tails had already gone upon him on the 20th time. There's no way possible. But he's the God of the impossible. And the reason I believe it is because, again, he was fully man, but fully God. He understood that the will of the flesh was in contention with the will of the spirit. And the will of the spirit was stronger than the will of man. And we have to understand that in our hearts, no matter what we go through, no matter where we've been, that in order for us to fully be set free, forgiveness has to precede it. And you have to be willing to let go. And the fact of it is, is this. Is your will of the flesh going to override the will of the Spirit in you? With every drop of blood, Christ was saying, I love you. I'm for you. I forgive you. I need you. Every drop. And, and the crazy part is forgiveness sets you free from your past and launches you into your purpose. It launches you forward. And he knew when it all started, forgive them. And he's dropping the ultimate F-bomb. He's talking about all of humanity, past, present, and future. Forgive them. And he still says it today, forgive them. Oh, I think another thing that we have to understand in this room is just because forgiveness is released doesn't mean salvation was immediate. It had to be chosen. It has to be chosen. See, the Spirit has to be chosen. And the reason I say that is because you don't understand. You see one cross here, but on that day there were three. And there were three men hanging on a cross, and in the middle was Jesus Christ. And when he released salvation, guess what? One didn't choose it. Just because forgiveness is released does not mean salvation is immediate. I think 
to believe in Jesus Christ. I guarantee you that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her his brother were not sitting there saying, you need to believe. You need to believe. No, they were wrenched in agony and heartache. They weren't thinking about the man on the cross right at that minute, but Jesus was. And it took the ability to hear his voice. See, the problem of it is, is we want everybody else in life to confirm what we're doing and where we need to be going and tell us what we need to be doing instead of listening to the voice of God. Hate, bitterness, contempt, frustration, anger are all anchored into things that have happened. Your calling, the plan, the purpose are tied to what will happen. You want to be free from your past? Let God forgive you and forgive others. Because it still all ties together. Well, Romans 8, 12 through 14 says it this way. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by what it dictates, you will die. But if you, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Period. You will live. See, we think... Jesus Christ dying for your sins. No, it was about death, and it was, but it was death to flesh, not death to the spirit, not death to Jesus Christ. It wasn't about that. It was death to the flesh. And the problem of it is, is we live by the flesh because we crave it, and we want to continue to feed our craving. And instead of eating what is right of the spirit and eating the fruits of God, we devour what the world has for us, and we have no ear to hear what is One man, to the right. And one man, that he's out of heaven. And we all think that grace doesn't have its limits. Grace has limits. You know what's crazy is Psalm 103, 2, or 12 says, He removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. The people, like, I guess that can be like Christian lingo for some. Oh yeah, I removed it far. There is no connecting east from west. You, it doesn't say north to south. Because there's an end point north to south. Eventually you will turn around and start heading back the other direction. And I think what's happened is people want their sins forgiven north to south. Because they end up turning around doing the same thing again. But it's better to go east to west. Because if you keep going east, guess what? You will keep going east. Jesus, let's go to the next one. Forsaken. Why have you forsaken? This one's tough. Talk about Golgotha. Talk about being on the cross. And there's a moment where Jesus says, Why have you go ahead and read that? In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, it says it this way. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. Sorry. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? He didn't say he whispered. He cried out, so 
stood upon his yeah. At the moment, he was looking at the daughter. You know what the word forsaken means? It means to be abandoned. It means to be deserted. And all at the moment, he knew what it felt like to be outside of God's covering. He knew what it felt like. And I think his heart was wrenching because not only for himself, but he never knew what it felt like to not have the Father look upon him. Had he never known that feeling, I believe his heart was aching in extinguishing pain to let you know, excruciating pain, to know what you feel when you are outside of the covering of Jesus Christ. Why are you forsaking me? He understood the power that sin can hold. He understood it, and the Father cannot tolerate or continue to look upon your sin in acceptance. It doesn't work that way. He understood the feeling of being completely alone and feeling that God wasn't present. See, this was the power, though, of the cross. It was the one thing that can keep us from being separated from God. The ultimate sacrifice was paid to bring you back to the Father. He had to be forsaken so you could be forgiven. Think about that. Well, it said Jesus in the Gospel talks about if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Then you've seen the Father in heaven if you see me. Jesus talks about that. So when Jesus is praying, forgive them, you see how God desires to forgive us of our sin. If we only turn to him, and it's, it's not a message of hopelessness. It's a message, a message of submission. It's about Jesus knowingly and willingly put himself on the cross so that you didn't have to. Like Just like she said. And like she said about the cup. He drank the cup. Imagine Jesus taking a cup of sin in past and present and future. And he took that whole cup and he drank the whole thing. Everything that you have been doing and or have done, he's already drank it for you. And he takes a big drink of it. And you may ask, isn't God loving? Yes, he is. But he's just. God is loving and God is just. First, first John 4, 8, it's just as simple. It just says God is love. That means God entirely is compressed with love. He judges sin. And that's, that means that his love demands judgment. And I'll say it like this. If someone that was a murderer walked into your home and tried to go where your kids were, or somewhere that you know and somebody you you love so close that they're just sneaking through the house trying to do something bad. You would demand judgment to be done on somebody. And a decision of punishment because they threaten your family. This is what sin is to God. It's a destructive force that destroys our soul. And he's not happy. If we choose to identify ourselves with sin more than we choose to identify ourselves with the Lord, then we are caught up in that judgment. Can I say that one more time? 
If we choose to identify ourselves in the sin we're in, then the Lord, we are caught up in the judgment. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what happened. I don't know where the church went. But ain't nobody talking about hell anymore. Because there is a hell. And if you don't serve God, you are going to hell. Now listen, I grew up in an era when everybody was trying to scare the hell out of me. So I chose Christ out of fear, and I did everything out of fear, and then I keep messing up because it was all dictated by fear instead of by love, instead of loving the hell out of me. You see what I'm saying? And I know we get our words all crazy, and I'm whatever. So, but, but the reality is, is if you choose Christ, you will live. If you don't choose Christ, you will die and not live. That's the bottom line to the gospel in general. But too many times now, because if I say, if you don't choose to do the right thing, you're going to hell. Because of our culture today, everybody walks on eggshells and is offended and wants to put a post out and make a statement and do all this stuff. But the truth is the truth and it will set you free. All right. All right. That's the reality of it. What do you do if you choose Christ or you don't? And he, and he said, God's like, Jesus is like, God, why are you forsaking me? Because he took every bit of sin. And God had to turn his back on his son. Because he's holy. He had to take all of sin. Every bit of it. And maybe you feel so distant from God. It's maybe if you start thinking about your lifestyle, and if you turn around and let the sun shine on you, then something will change. But the more you keep going back and over and over, you're going to find yourself back into the shadows and can't even where am I? Where are you, God? Where are you? Just turn back to God. And I know Jesus was crying that out to his father, but I believe, like she said, he's making the same statement today to us. Why have you forsaken me? Just serve me. Just love me. I put it in you. I've got plans for you. Declares the Lord. Please believe just because you came here today. Your church isn't going to save you. It's just a building. Only Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will save your soul. This is the gospel. This is the truth. Jesus will. That's how good he is. Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe in Jesus to sacrifice his life, shed his blood. The crazy part about this is that Jesus could have pulled the golf card. Do you realize that there was legions of angels? God's angel army was just watching and standing by. Just say the word, I'll destroy the whole mountain. You wouldn't even see him. Just say the word. Just say it, Jesus. Just say it. Just say it. And he couldn't even do it. Why? Because we're standing in this moment right here. I got something for you later. You gotta go sit down. <laughs> but listen, in this moment, he chose not to get off the cross because he knew we were sitting in this moment right here. In this moment. That was the craziest part. 
He didn't dodge the bullet. Guess what he did? He jumped in front of the bullet. And that's why he gets the victory. That's why he gets the victory. Anything else on that? You want to move on? All my points have been on the wall for months. The last one, the one we celebrate, it is finished. I hope that even as we keep talking about this, this last part, it sets in your soul that you understand God to its fullest. That you understand that that he forgives you. That you understand that he even cried out, why have you forsaken me? There's a flip side to that. Haven't you seen sometimes people say that? You ever had a good friend and then they don't? And people just go there. Like, you feel forsaken, you feel jacked up. And you, you just gotta keep turning to God and just know he's got your, he's got your best interest at heart. But the ultimate thing is to get the, everything wrapped up right, you have to give it to the Lord. You have to bring it to the cross at his feet. Why carry the baggage? You might have walked in with a lot of baggage, but my prayer today is that you walk out just floating out of the room with no more baggage. No more of that. I hope that, that what we're talking about is opening your eyes and understanding that the real gospel, this isn't just a every Easter message. This is what it is. This is the real deal. I'm going to be intentional about how I live my life. When other people look at me, do they notice that I'm a Christian or do they notice that I'm a hypocrite? Oh, I went to church. Oh, really? Why are you smoking that? I'm trying. I'm trying. But we don't live the life. Oh, got my, my Christian on my back of my window. Yeah. They go to Remnant Church. My God. What kind of church is that? Right. And why is everybody dictated by somebody's one mistake and act like the whole church is wrong? I gotta get into this. I think, I think what happens though is we become like the, the other thief upon the cross, and when we live our lives like that, then we mock him. We're mocking God because we don't believe that he can do what he said he could do, because the reason we don't believe what he said he could do is because we don't live like he did it. And the fact of it is, is this, is that that other thief that was on the cross, when he did not choose God, when he did not choose to go that way, he had the Holy Spirit, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, speaking to him, and he still chose not to listen to what was being said. He still chose to mock God. And could God have chose to forgive him? Absolutely. He could have there, he could have his grace be covered off, but you know what's weird, love? Is Jesus didn't even respond to that man. He didn't. Did you, did you guys notice that? Like, he just landed all beat up. It ain't like he couldn't. I mean, he couldn't talk, but he chose to talk when he needed yeah. to talk. Do you live our life like that sometimes? Just, why do we always have to say something? <laughs> and one is that, I, 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 I didn't say anything. Let me read the scripture. Jesus, help me. <laughs> I'm going to get ahead of myself because I, I got to read the scripture that we're going to just dig. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And he yielded up his spirit. He yielded up his spirit. That's my favorite. Right there. You, you. <laughs> 
He yielded his spirit. This part hit me when I read this because most of the time we, we combine three different scriptures right here, but the fact that it is in these three different scriptures, it says it different ways. Yeah. It says, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he took his last breath. And he took his last breath. Father, forgive him. You know, took his last breath. Do you, but what I love about Matthew 27 in this part right here. Is he says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. And yielded up his spirit. Do you understand? He yielded. He yielded. Even Jesus yielded. The fight for your lives can never be won until we fully yield and give full control to the Father. That's good. The flesh will fight till the very end, but the Spirit of God will always win when you choose to. When you choose to yield. See, what does yield mean? It means to give up and cease. It means resistance. To cease resistance or contention. But you know what yield also means? This is, this is the best part. Because if you watched last week and what God did and started talking about harvest. Do you understand that yield means harvest? Yield is what's produced from the field when you sow into the field. It's what you reap. Yield. He yielded. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ died upon the cross and he sat there on that hill, on that small hill, right there on that mountain, that he yielded. Now, can I go just a little bit deeper with it? Because this is, this is the cool part, guys. We hope you're gross on burning. I don't care about your roast. Go out to me. Whatever you want to do. So, not only, okay, was, was Skull Hill, not only was Golgotha the place of death and former crucifixions, yeah. but do you understand that the skull represents the protection of, and the barrier or wall to protect the brain, which is the human control center? Do you know that's what it represents? This is where flesh takes its lead from. The mind, in the mind is where flesh takes its lead from. So good. And so what happened was when Jesus Christ yielded up his spirit, when that Christ, when that cross was shoved down into the skull, guess what he did? He crushed all human intellect and he crushed the barrier between the mind and the heart to sin. He devoured the enemy at that moment. So good. First prediction, if we go back, this relates to Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. Okay? I have to read this to you. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What was pierced on Jesus Christ? The feet.
No more will still look at the prophecies of what happened from the past and I know it's all Old Testament, all New Testament. It's the word of God. It's true. It's alive. It's real. But it's real. Jesus it's is all about representation. Absolutely. Right? He represents salvation. That's who he is. But that's why he says put on the helmet of salvation. Why do we put the helmet of salvation on? Because we can lose our head real quick between here and our hearts. Salvation. If we think it, we're going to do it. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to crush the flesh. Die to the flesh and live by the Spirit. If you don't, you'll take your head off and keep doing what you're doing. But what's more powerful than just that is that when that cross crushed that ground, what did it do? It broke open the ground. And guess what happened? The seed of God was driven into the ground and it was watered by his blood and the water that began to flow out from him. And it began to cause salvation and a yield to begin to produce in the ground. You don't understand that when Jesus Christ died on the ground, he began to produce the largest yield of souls in ever. And we are living at the height of history to begin to know who he is more and more so. It wasn't just about being on a rock that looked like a skull. See, Jesus Christ, when he died upon that cross, was saying, I'm bringing to life the crushing of the head of the enemy. I'm bringing to life, and that blood and that water that began to flow for me is going to be healing for your soul. By his stripes, you are healed. By the things that he did upon that cross, you are saved and set free. You know what else is crazy about the skull? Is when David killed Goliath, took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off and drug that head to Jerusalem way before Jesus came on the scene. Just to represent something. Threw Goliath's head in Jerusalem. And what's crazy is they call him the son of David, son of David! Because in the, the blood line, he was literally a prince anyway. But he was the king of kings. But he was still bloodline. He was still royal. Listen. See, if Jesus would have opened his mouth and protested and fought for his rights, then he would have he would have not been obedient to God and to the plan. And the infection of sin would stay with us. Because we have all sinned. The scripture... Romans 3, 23, these are just foundational scriptures. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Everybody say all. Uh, all of us have. He came to earth to destroy sin and death. He lived a perfect life. He did not sin once. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Why did Christ die? He died for us. He said it was finished. Because God could not tolerate sin on his creation, so he had to crush it. Jesus to be able to crush sin. This is how much you're worth. This is how much you are loved. That Christ sent his son to die so you would not have to. The best part of all is when Jesus said it's finished. 
it's made it full. It means it's done. It's over with. When Jesus cried out that it's finished, it means it's finished. In the past, it's finished. In the present, it's finished. In the future. But if you take your helmet off, only you are going to change that scenario. It's finished. It's finished. God has a plan, church. He did not give in to the temptation. But he hung upon the cross. There's only one voice that matters, and it's Jesus. The voice of the Lord called him back. It was crazy. In three days, he rose again. And this is the day we celebrate the risen Lord. They mocked him. They told him to come off the cross. And yet he didn't. And here's what's crazy. He didn't come off because he was knowing that this moment right here in time is going to happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory, death? God saw death coming. Death had an agenda. But God hatched the plan. The plan was Jesus. The plan's always been Jesus. When Jesus came from the tomb, the disease of sin stayed buried with your bill paid in full. For the first time in history, death lost its fight. For the first time in history, death was defeated. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the game, church. That means you have a second chance. That means that nothing is impossible with your life. That means that no matter what you've done, He can forgive you of your sins. That means you still have a choice to make. That means you can do it. And here's what it says. Classic scripture. Foundational scripture. Romans 10, 9, 10, 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe, and you're justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. I don't know how else clear that has to be. Then Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That means all your fleshly desires, when you accept Christ, you nail that to the tree. Because Christ already took it. She said at the end of this whole thing, there were two people on the cross with Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus laid in a tomb that was not his? It was a borrowed tomb because he didn't plan on keeping it. Do you realize the cross that Jesus hung on was not his? It was Barabbas' cross. When they let a murderer go and wanted to kill the Savior of the world, guess what? You are Barabbas. Why? Because Christ took our place. So we didn't have to do that. No matter what we've done, Christ said, no, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. I'll hang it. If this comes to pass, but it doesn't. 
because he knew he had to do this. God forgives the guilty. And here's the thing. He has the evidence. He already knows what we've done. But he says, if you're confused, if you're angry, if you're bitter, if you're frustrated, if you're depressed, if you're self-willed, if you just come to me, I will forgive you. I will make you whole. I will make you new. I wrote this down because God was having me write it down. God says, I'll take you back. I'll take you back. Just like I took the prodigal son back. I'll take you back. But if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, he went and just wanted to live his wild life for a moment, and, and he ended up at the worst point of his life, and something got a hold of him and said, I got to go home. And the father ran to him. The father didn't go chase him when he was out doing his thing and sold his oats or whatever he was doing, but he ran to him when he saw him. Smelling like pig. Stuffed between his toes. I don't know how you came in here smelling like. I don't care if you smell like alcohol, marijuana, depression, whatever it is. He still wants to put a robe of righteousness on you. And his ring on you. He wants to give you and tell you your love, your worthy, and you matter. He still wants to do that. No matter what you've been doing. No matter if you just bow and say, I'll just, I'll just do something. I'll, I'll, I'll. Just put me out in the shed. I just want to be home. He doesn't. He lifts you up, ropes you, and says, you're worthy. You're, you can. You can. My son, my daughter is home. That's what he says. That's who he is. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He will restore you. He will forgive you. He will build you back. He will keep you going. If you're dealing with this this morning, this ain't a club. This ain't a fashionable thing we do in this one season called Easter. This is the oldest message, thousands of years old, that is so valuable today and more valuable than ever before. God says, how can I offer you such a good deal and you won't take it? How can I give you such the, the greatest deal ever and you won't take it? Because you can't believe that you can be forgiven. You can. You can. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Let the flesh die. Let it be crushed with the, with the cross. The cross did it. He did it on the cross. But you've got to choose him. He loves you. He loves you when you're wrong. He loves you when you're mess. He loves you. But I'll tell you this in the end of the all of it. He loves you, but he won't tolerate it because when the day comes that you bow your knee, you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to hell. That's the gospel. That's what he says. But the reality is he wants to use you. Not so you can be like saved and made to heaven. No, so you can live for him and keep bringing everybody else. Let's rob hell. Rob hell and bring them out. You realize that all of us have been in a place at our lowest point. If you call yourself a Christian, maybe you're like, man, I, I remember that. But here's the other problem. If you say you're a Christian and you're not moving a muscle, what difference are you anyway? You're just saying stuff. I don't care if you serve the Lord for 30 years. How many people have you led to Christ? 
you snatch out of the fire. Call yourself a Christian if you ain't acting like it. That's the real deal. Live for him. Not just say it, do it. That's it's the gospel moving. Don't walk away from this deal. Everybody's saying we're going to pray. And we're going to get into this. And we serve a good God. I want everybody to bow your hands. I want to make this real personal, real fast, because I think now is the time. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. Please bow your heads. Now is the time. Now is the time. You have a debt you cannot repay. Only the king can forgive it. You are not able to repay that debt, and he did it on the cross. He said it's finished, and if it's finished, it's finished. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are you doing with your hand up your 
you're saying, I surrender. I surrender today. I surrender today. I surrender today. I surrender today. I surrender today.